to Garage Night, where we actually worked on stuff. I'm Randall, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Yeah. I'm Andy. And tonight we're going to talk about my Bronco, Randy's DeSoto, and probably some broken cars that Andy has. I don't know. (laughs) So let's go ahead and start off with the ride segment. Uh, Jeff has about three hours of stuff, so go ahead and uh, (laughs) kick back, grab a beer, and let's get right into it. Don't mind if I do. Alrighty. Um, so I got my, I, a lot of stuff has happened since the last garage night. Uh, the day after we recorded the last garage night, I, uh, received my new ride tech, uh, shocks for my Chevy. Proceeded to put those on the Chevy, drove it around, felt good. I raised the suspension up one inch and, uh, it got the control arms, uh, the correct angle they're supposed to be at. Hard drive a hundred times better. And uh was cruising around and was like, oh, you know, there's I feel a little rattle in the front suspension. Let me get under there and take a look at it. So I go home and like I've done a million times, I jack it up and uh I'm jacking it up and I'm like, oh, you know, I really don't need to get jacked up. Let me just crawl under here and tighten this. And I looked at it, I looked under the car, I'm like, yeah, let me just give it a few more pumps. I'll throw some jacks under it, not a big deal. Give it three more pumps and the jack slips off the K member. And the car comes down, it takes, it hits the aluminum cast bracket on the front of the engine. And that shatters that and sends pieces of the aluminum casting into the radiator and uh, bends the front. It's not the cross member, but it's the lower core support, bent that. Um, and it also hit the crank pulley and uh, took a chunk out of the, not a chunk, but like a, the little edge rib there it kind of flattened that on the on the crank pulley and uh all of this happened while i was behind the jack and so i just hear this bang and i hear metal just hitting the ground sounds like loose change you know just raining down and then i hear my car pissing i'm like oh no what the hell just happened and all i had to go under there was to tighten uh, a bolt on a steering u-joint yeah, so it was pretty, uh, it was pretty uh, scary. And so I managed to jack the car back up to assess the damage and got it on some ramps um, and uh, put a bucket underneath the radiator where it was pissing out and, um, you know, kind of crawled under there and just was looking at stuff, just like shaking because I mean, my car just collapsed on me and uh, picked up the pieces of the bracket and set them aside. I originally thought the jack broke itself, but it was ended up just being the bracket. Um, fortunately, I uh, the damage was pretty localized to that um, that area. But uh, I, I pulled the radiator out, um, had to you know pull everything apart that I did the week week or two weeks before putting AC in, um, and uh, took that down and had had it uh, had the radiator soldered up and uh, they actually fixed the fixed the factory defect of the radiator that I got from Chevs of the forties. So oh nice. That uh, well, I paid for it, so <laughs> yeah, just uh, kept kept denying it, kind of thing. So it was kind of irritating. Like they were like, "Oh, well, it's probably not. It's probably your radiator hose. You should check that." Nope, it was the upper solder joint was bad, and like I said to them. And so anyway, um, so so that happened, and that was uh, you know, that was interesting. But now the the car drives just phenomenal. I mean, it's 
every it feels like every little thing I do to it, it just makes it better. And I'm I'm really happy that that's happening. You know, like it's just constantly improving. And I drove it, and actually Randy drove it um, when he uh, you know he drove it uh, not too long ago, and uh, with the new kind of suspension setup, and it really drives a lot. Yeah, it drives a lot better, um, a lot better than it did. Yeah, did you, I mean, do you have any thoughts about it when when you got it in compared to the first time you drove it? So strangely, it actually <clears throat> handles a little worse, and only in that uh, it gave up uh, two or three percent of its handling prowess. Just that you know, I was I was in there, but it's a thousand times smoother, and it still feels good because. Um, so both the DeSoto and the five series are uh, reciprocating ball, um, kind of a gearbox steering. And the Chevy is a, what I consider to be proper rack and pinion steering. And it's so much more direct and you feel like you're actually steering the car instead of giving it an idea of which way you want to go. The BMW is really well tuned for that, but switching like between that and driving the Chevy and then driving my Ranger, I, uh, I, I do get reminded that it is not rack and pinion. It's really, it's a really good version of reciprocating ball, but it's not as good as the Chevy was to drive. Like, and there's not a, a lot of dead on center, which is, you know, usually the case with an old, old rack and pinion is that you get that really big dead spot. Uh, but, but no, it, it was, uh, it was a joy to drive. It was, way more fun and I hadn't I hadn't driven it or ridden in it since he had the transmission sorted and the one two shift uh no longer separated my spine from the rest of my body. I think uh, that was the first time you'd driven it since the rear suspension too. Yeah nothing knocked like all of the complaints if you go back to I want to say episode like two um definitely in the in the first ten uh, all of almost all those complaints are gone. That 50 mile an hour were is gone, which I think is what you were alluding to. Mm-hmm. Um, it just he ironed out all of the problems with the car basically. And Andy, I'm not sure, you know, what you've uh, last time you rode in it, you know, what had been taken care of and what hadn't, but it was really hard to find fault in the car. Uh, we didn't push it. We were just on a parts run, but uh, yeah, excellent, excellent improvements all the way around. And I think it's, it's really becoming something that I want to benchmark. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I've been pretty happy with how it's come together. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I, at this point, it's kind of my, it's almost actually it probably is my most comfortable car to drive. Um, you know, uh, just to hop in and, you know, automatic does no heat it just kind of runs pretty good you know i've got some some tuning stuff i'm kind of working on now that i fixed my exhaust leaks and stuff on i uh which is another thing i did um i can now hear a little bit of detonation so i've been swapping um playing with the timing and swapping uh metering rod uh springs and and uh whatnot in, in the carburetor just trying to get everything kind of just more dialed in you know it's just one of those it's at the point now where it's a really nice car just to kind of tinker with and just change things. And the funny thing about the shocks is it actually that what made me go get buy really expensive shocks was your car, um, your DeSoto. Cause I, I 
drove that around. And even though it was really floaty and stuff, it was like it rode so smooth. I'm like, this is how I want my car to drive. <laughs> like, and it and it's a lot smoother now, like very yeah. noticeably. Yeah. Could you could you do me a favor? You were mentioning uh playing with the timing on that car. I'm somewhat familiar with, uh, for those who don't know, I'm the most uh, automotively illiterate of the three. I know a little bit about adjusting timing when you have like a timing light um, mm-hmm. and you're kind of turning the distributor a little bit. Can you explain, you said something about uh, rods that you were you were messing with? Oh, that's I had yeah. Heard of. Could you kind of give a kind of a 101 on that? Yeah, I can I can do my best. Um, I it's funny. I uh, I talk with a buddy of mine at, at work. Um, he's uh, he's actually he's really sharp with this kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, his name's Jason, and he uh, uh, we we work together at at, uh, at my work. And he um, he had a really cool old uh, Biscayne wagon that he built, and he's uh, he's actually built a few cars. He built a Crown Vic swapped truck and all types of really really rad stuff he's a guy you bought your your bmw from i was about to say you said biscayne wagon it must be it must be the guy i bought the five series from so yeah, yeah smart smart guy smart enough to uh uh decide that his uh kid shouldn't have a v8 yeah a 400 some horsepower v8 or whatever uh, it's only three it's 292 oh wow okay i guess my my horsepower feeling is off <laughs> that car yeah, feels a lot faster. It's just because it puts it down. The uh, the M5 of that generation is 400. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. Gotcha. So so yeah, he he's uh, helped kind of you know because I've had I've probably had a lot of the same questions you do, especially when it comes to you know aftermarket carburetors and stuff. You know when I like with the Falcon, it's a lot different. There's it's kind of a it's a stock system. There's a lot of information on the stock. You know. Poly 19, uh, I think it's the 1906 um, carburetor, and you know you can get a lot of stuff for them, and you kind of they're they're pretty known how they work. Um, but when you go to like an Edelbrock where or a or a Holly even, and you're and you're dealing with something that's 100% tunable to tons of different engine applications and everything, so you gotta you got a lot of different tuning elements um, to a carb to make it work for that engine, that you know volumetric efficiency that all the weird little things that that engine likes. And so, you know, um, on a, uh, on a Holly, uh, I, I'm probably going to be corrected by someone, but I, I'm pretty sure this is how it works for a Holly. They have what's called a power valve, which is basically the same thing uh, that, that functions in, in a similar manner to what, like my Edelbrock, what the, uh, the metering rod springs do. And so, um, the metering rods are these little rods that move up and down inside of your, I think it's your, uh, it's your main jet there. And so, um, one, one per bank. And then as you, as you hit the throttle and vacuum increases or vacuum decreases, sorry, um, the springs overcome the force of the vacuum and it, there's these little, there, uh, there's these little metering rods. I'm, I'm doing stuff with my fingers trying to show you. There's these little metering rods that are they're tapered. They look just like a tapered, uh, um, uh, I don't know what to how to explain, like a needle. Um, and so they sit down into your into into this little seat. And as you as uh, basically as vacuum is increased, so as when you're at idle and everything, 
um, vacuum is holding those rods down into the fatter part of the taper and it's letting less fuel through. As you increase throttle and vacuum falls off, the spring takes over and it pushes up on that metering rod, causing that needle to move to a smaller part of the needle um, where it lets more fuel through. Um, and so by changing out those springs, you, you're changing the rate or the RPM that that needle moves at. Or uh, um, So in other words, like I was having a lean spot off idle, um, kind of off idle, uh, you know, mid throttle, uh, going up a hill or in a low gear. And so what I, what my initial thought was, is, okay, that, that lean spot is happening, um, you know, at, at an eighth throttle, I just need to step the spring stiffness up a little bit. So I'm getting a fatter fuel mixture earlier in throttle. Um, so I'm not running lean there. If that makes any sense. I'm, I'm probably not using the right terminologies here. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's how it functions. Um, and a power, a power valve in a Holly does the same thing where the power valve, um, I'm not as familiar, but it basically, what it will do is it will, um, it will control, uh, the actuation of, uh, of the, uh, of that same similar needle, but using a, a set valve with a set, um, I think it's a, what do they call it? It's, it's like a set pressure. So it'll have like a certain number of, uh, of, uh, uh, bar or whatever it is per um, or certain inches of vacuum is what it is uh, per uh, inch compression of the spring or something like that. So it's basically the amount of suction um, per per uh, unit of length of the spring. But anyway, that's is that are you following that at all? Yeah, it's not unlike the needle on a uh, like a small engine. Um, yeah where when you turn the throttle, it pulls the slide up and that brings the needle with it. So that's a more mechanical version of it versus the vacuum uh, actuation of what you're describing, which of course, when you've got multiple barrels and you've got much more complicated uh, thing going on, um, they come up with more interesting ways of, uh, of making that work. So no, it does make sense. Um, so yeah, I was I was able to actually follow it better than you uh, than you you might have thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm sure I'm not using the right terminology. If it's uh, you know, I'm not sure if that is uh, you know, it's a metering rod, and I'm not sure if that sits down into a, a seat or a. Or if a, someone uh, wants to write in to uh, the Garage Night email uh, yeah. here at Tiny Dog, I will uh, I will read it on air to you know correct terminology because then we all learn you know. Uh, as long as it's not a, you know, like a, like a tweet about you guys don't know what you're doing. It's like, well, we know that that's fine, but we're all happy to, you know, learn uh, proper terminology. But I think you did a good job of kind of explaining how you can use that to, to, you know, tune timing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and yeah, and that's, that really just tunes the, so that'll tune your, your mixture. Um, and generally what you can do is you can swap on those cars, just, just like any other car you can swap your jets and you can swap your um you know your uh, uh your uh, metering rod sizes um accordingly um as well so you there's a lot of tunability in there with playing with spring rates and playing with metering rod sizes and jets and uh that pretty nice because they have like a kit that you can just buy 
um, that uh, that uh, will tell you. Um, and not to rain on it, but it is the jet the meter and rod does move up and down now that I, I remember. So it is it is the jet. Um, now that I'm thinking about it a little more clearly, but um, yeah. So so that's uh, so anyway. That's that's kind of that little tiny tiny little bit of tech, little baby bit of tech. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that seemed to help. Um, I still have some tuning stuff, like I, I was saying, to work on, but uh, it's getting better. Um, and so the the real big news uh, for me for rides is I got my Bronco back uh, uh, last last weekend. Uh, my dad and I went over to uh, to Devon's uh, and we uh, put it back, put it all together, um, and uh, yeah, it looks it looks fucking rad, man. It's I'm sorry, I mean it looks rad. <laughs> it's uh, it looks great, dude. I'm I'm really excited with it, and uh, uh, you saw it as well. Um, you know, uh, it's it's come. I put more things together and cleaned more things since then. You know, cleaning off some some just you know buffing compound and some areas where the tape masking tape lifted and, and stuff where there's maybe a little bit of overspray, but nothing that's not a, you know, not a big deal. He gave me a bottle of cleaner and uh, rubbing compound and stuff to clean it all up with. And um, yeah, it looks really good. Um, I uh, got the seats, front seats in it and door panels on it, speakers back in it. And all the moldings are on it. Wheel arches are in it. Uh, I, I actually took the, I wasn't, really happy with how the reproduction I bought, I bought new, um, reproduction grill and headlight bezels and, uh, they just, they fit really, really poorly. And so I, uh, spent about an hour polishing the old, uh, factory headlight bezels and they're, they're actually a plastic, but they're like a really dense plastic with a coating on it. That's like a chrome look coating. It actually came super, super clean. looks really good. And then I did on the grill, uh, it has, it's like chrome face with uh, painted inserts that are like an argent, like a silver. And uh, I spent about two, two and a half hours masking the grill and then getting that prepped for paint. And uh, I painted it uh, in the garage and it looks really good. I'm really happy with that, how that turned out and went and bought two buckets and, you know, for the two bucket wash method. So I could wash the truck using the proper method now and anyway and then you know i got it all together and then i went to go out went went to go get taco bell and uh the thermostat stuck uh shut on me and so that was fun and uh had to shut it shut it off and uh in the parking lot and let it cool down a little bit before i drove it home and i was only running for about five maybe eight minutes and uh it just just temperature just went straight up so uh surprisingly it's it didn't do that again today and, and yesterday but uh it did it a few days ago once and so that led me to digging into what thermostat i need to buy and yada 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 and so how up. accurate is your temp gauge like it is because i know with fords especially um and i know it's subaru and some bmws uh it says you're fine until about like 220 degrees and then it quickly goes from the middle of the gauge too hot and usually it's kind of too late so with yours being a more custom build you know how much are you able to trust your your gauge is there a way for you to find out like can you put the probe in a cup of boiling water with a with like a candy thermometer to to kind of figure that out 
So what I had done, and this is one of the nice things about the uh, using the exact same gauge in the Chevy is um, I have the same gauge and the same sending unit in the Chevy as I do in the Bronco. It's all factory uh, Ford stuff. And they're, they're not like the newer Ford gauges where they're kind of an idiot light. They're, they're actual, they're actual, um, you know, they actually sense and display information based on what they're sensing. They don't have a, uh, just kind of an on off. Um, and so, you know, it, it moves up and down with temperature just as any, you know, sending unit should. And the, uh, uh, when I had the gauge on the Chevy, you know, I knew that generally on it, within the sweep of that gauge, I generally know that, you know, towards the upper top ed edge of that gauge is around 220 degrees. And I was right at 220 or so, probably 230 um, when I shut it off. And uh, it was just, it just had no coolant moving. It was just not, it wasn't moving. Um, you know, I could, I could touch the upper radiator hose um, it was warm. It was still moving some coolant, but it wasn't hot, hot, hot. And so, uh, you know, and the other thing on those, those old rigs, what they do and Ford did this all the way up in the eighties. So even your range, like the earlier Rangers had these, um, but they did, they Ford, all of the Ford gauges were six volt and they used a bimetallic, uh, little switch. And what it would do was that switch, it would heat up. And then it would send like a pulse of voltage through and then cool down uh, and make and then it would make contact, heat up, you know, kind of do this cyclic thing where it was kind of a mechanical, um, just a little mechanical uh, voltage regulator that would down regulate 12 volts six uh, for their gauges. And so being that it's mechanical, a lot of times what will happen when they get old or wear out is that uh, sometimes they'll stick. And so I'll be sitting in traffic or driving and it will randomly peg the fuel gauge and the temperature gauge when that thing decides to stick um it's pretty common on these old rigs so um a lot of guys will wire in new uh solid state voltage regulators kind of like what i'm running in the chevy now um they require a heat sink a little more uh, a little more attention to how you mount them but they're uh they are more reliable uh for gauge readings uh when they work but, um, but yeah, I tend to trust that gauge pretty well. It's, it's done me good so far. Um, and, uh, anyway, what, what I ended up finding out not to bore everybody, but what I ended up finding out about the M block, the, you know, the Ford 400 and the M block motors on these, uh, these trucks and, and cars of that age where they, uh, is that the U S military used them as boat anchors on most destroyers? Yeah, they did. Well, they used two of them because, you know, they were going to be heavy. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the Cleveland engine, which is pretty actually highly revered, they used uh, in their thermostat area in the block, they would have a, um, not in the block, the thermostat mounts to the uh, to the intake, but on the in the actual block, there was a plate that would get pressed in that was brass. And it was, uh, it's called a restrictor plate. And what that does if you look at how the coolant flows in and out of your thermostat you have a water pump the thermostat is right above the water pump and then there's a bypass that goes down and cycles back i think it drops down into the block and then comes back and refeeds the water pump and uh it, it's got a little hole and your thermostat sits directly above that and as the plunger in your thermostat opens when it heats up 
your your little plunger in the thermostat moves down and it will plug that hole up so as there it basically reduces flow through the bypass and into your radiator that's how thermostats typically work and so in this particular case uh ford in their brilliance wanted to do something i had no idea why they needed this little custom one that had this little copper skirt that would make up a difference in the size of that hole from a standard thermostat. Um, so this little copper skirt was it was basically pressed onto their specialty thermostats for the 351 Cleveland, 351N, and the 400. And uh, then that would actually create a seal around that, uh, that hole in the block on the 351 and 400Ms, and then the plate uh, for the 351 Cleveland. And um, they stopped making that thermostat and you can't get it at any of the parts stores, period. So when you go put a parts store thermostat in there and it gets hot, guess what? You don't get block off the bypass. So you're wasting coolant flow through your radiator, which is why a lot of the M series 400s and the Cleveland's all overheat. And Cleveland's had it worse, especially if it's been rebuilt because guys will go get them hot tanked and they'll dissolve or damage the brass insert that's in there and they won't create a good seal or it won't even be there anymore. And uh, and then they'll just bypass constantly. They have nothing to plug it. Whereas the 351M and the 400 actually have that restrictor cast into the block, but because it's a different diameter than the new uh, thermostat, um, it still allows quite a bit of coolant bypass and not cool effectively. So I found one company that is has the rights and bought the rights to reproducing that collar and they use um basically the the only thermostat anyone should ever buy uh robert shaw thermostat um which is made in the u.s the only made in the u.s thermostat you can find and they're contracted under flow cooler um and they'll uh they have those pressed on to the bottom side of their the only, the only feeler you can get that particular one uh from is T. Meyer Inc., um, who's been a huge part of the 351 Cleveland M and 400 community for since I was in high school. They were still around making race engines and all types of cool stuff. So, way more information than anyone ever wanted to know about a thermostat for a Ford Bronco from 1978, but it is important if you ever want yours to cool properly. Well, on that note, you got the Bronco back. On that note, I got the Bronco back. <laughs> what did you think of it when you saw it? I think it probably had a better paint job than it did in 1978. Yeah. It's pretty shiny. It's real shiny. You know, uh, God forbid the day that you finally get a scratch in it. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> uh, I have no idea how, but... Uh, it's uh, going to happen. You know, in, yeah. in motocross, there's a... There are some riders that when they get a brand new helmet, they will drop it on purpose just to put a scratch in it so they don't worry about it so much. Yeah. Um, it's not best practices for the styrofoam, but, you know, the idea is there uh, that, you know, it's going to get scratched. Uh, I know my Ranger, after it got repainted uh, the second time, uh, <clears throat> I went to the gym and came out and someone had opened their car door right into it. Uh, you know, it wasn't a massive dent, but it was enough in a brand new paint job to really 
really uh, cheese me off. Um, so I, I kind of get that. But yeah, the Bronco looks really good. Um, you got a couple more pieces of trim still to put on, but it's it looks really weird without the uh, visor on it. So mm-hmm. any of the pictures that I that I post on the Instagram, you'll be able to tell if it's the new or the old simply by the uh, whether it has the fiberglass visor on it or not. Um, I'm not a visor person, but it's definitely, it's like when your friend that you've known forever finally gets contacts. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to get used to them uh, with the new look. Um, so it looks really good and I'm sure we'll all get used to it, but it's it's definitely different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, driving down the road and, you know, looking down the, uh, the mirror, you know, at the body line. Um, like before it was pretty damn straight for an old truck and now it's just, it's just laser straight. It's really trippy, you know? Um, I'm definitely feeling like I need to drive it more carefully. And I know I, I can't be that way forever, but you know, when you, when you just, you go through all that, you know, uh, you know, it still makes you want to be careful. <laughs> I think that's it for my ride seg. Oh no, I guess I have. I, I did some work um, on some cars this week that weren't mine, but uh, one of those you'll talk about. Uh, the other one was my dad's 2007 Tahoe, uh, which was shockingly easy to work on uh, for the stuff that we did. Which was just the uh, we replaced the the door handle. It's impressive. Um, that came off in his hand when we were uh, putting my Bronco together. We got done with a long day of work and uh, went to, he went to open his car door and the handle just came off in his hand. And he's like, uh, Jeff? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a couple other, you know, GM, terrible GM production quality. Uh, they're, uh, the electric switches and his tailgate or his liftgate stopped working and his rear passenger door quit working um so we replaced uh two of the three that are broken so we replaced the uh lift gate switch and the driver door handle and uh those weren't too bad thanks for youtube for showing us how to do it (laughs) but other than that um i worked on another car that's old but uh we can talk about that in next one of the next ride segments so someone else take it away that'd be andy what are you what have you been up to andy not a ton so the i still haven't got the cutouts back from pipes for the cobra um so uh, i kind of wanted to drive it and get it out of the garage so i went down to the steel yard and got a couple pieces of steel um I've done some quick little just block off plates and slipped the gasket in and basically just blocked off the open hole the hard way. So it's back to basically a normal muffled car again. Um, so at least it's drivable and I've kind of, I've honestly missed it driving it with the mufflers because it sounds so good. It sounds really good rattle. even with it blocked off because I I was there the last time it worked properly um, and it, it did sound good. Right. Uh, it was still deep and throaty. Yeah. Uh, 
with the valves closed, it just sounded like a NASCAR with them open, which is a fun party trick. But, you know, as you've discovered, I think I would prefer to have them stuck closed than stuck open. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind, you know, it's, it's still a total, it's not a monster by any means, you know, so with, with them closed, I, I can drive it around normally, um, you know, around town and it's not an issue. Whereas with them wide open, you get looks everywhere. And of course, you know, the legality of it as well, too. You don't want to get a ticket. Especially for when you're not trying exhaust. to. Right. When I'm just trying to, you know, putt around or something around town and go. The, the little bit I do drive it around town. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I bought that off and I'm just waiting to get those back. Uh, I did the first oil change on it since basically the whole rebuild. Um, I mean, it, it's been a year, but it doesn't have a thousand miles on it yet, but it was time to do it. I don't, I won't let it go more than a year. So what's the, what's the um, thing with the time? Yeah. So, uh, I think I asked this back on an old forum we were all a part of, um, but I, of course, I never got a straight answer there. Um, so when they put time limits on oil changes, for what I understand about how oil works, is that simply for dinosaur oils that could simply degrade on their own? Does that count for synthetics? Good question. I, I so honestly, do you just change it because know. you know that's that's what you do, and it's just standard practice. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when I was driving it daily, you know, it would it would go three months or three thousand, you know, on the nose. But right now, it's not making three thousand a year or so, and you know, it's it's on the the synthetic blend, the motorcraft. Yeah, which is a little blend, bit of dinosaur, so. a little bit of computers. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I'm not worried about it at a year, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred miles a year. Because I mean, if maybe, the motor's not getting it, because yeah. like a like a police car, for instance, isn't necessarily going to get as many miles oh, yeah. as the engine hours are, and and from what I understand, uh, you know, sure. Jeff uh, just you know talked out his wazoo. I'll do the same. Um, <laughs> Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if the if the oil is being run between parts and it's being compressed and heated and cooled, it is going to break down uh, the dinosaur oil a lot faster than the right. synthetic. But that's what's going to break it down. As far as sitting, I would be more worried about like degraded oil becoming sludge. And that's probably what it more has to do with is making sure you get your filter changed often enough. Um, uh, and that, you know, every three months you're going to drain your pan and that's going to help pull any sediment or, or what have you out of the pan. That mm -hmm. would make sense. Uh, I could be, um, you know, seeing angels where there are none, but, uh, I could see that being an argument for it. Other than that, if it's sitting in the engine, I don't know why it would degrade any more than it did in the you know, refinery barrels or sitting on the shelf. Sure. Yeah. yeah sitting you, on a shelf. I mean, you constantly have oil sitting Caminous. on a shelf because you buy a case at a time if you're going to change your own oil. So you've got bottles that have been there for two, three years before you even put them in the car. If they were, if they had like a half-life, right. like a bad shelf life, you wouldn't do that. Exactly. That's, that's a guy I'm not worried about it. 
yeah, that's why I'm not worried about it. You know, and like I said, I'm not running it all the time consistently and not, you know, I get it, run it hard once in a while, but it's not all the time. So I'm really not worried about it like a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I start driving it more, I would probably, I would obviously bump it up naturally, but um, the, the nice factor though is, so if anybody knows specifically about Mustangs with four, six in them, the oil filter and the stock location for the oil filter is directly above the K member and the, um, <clears throat> and the steering it's, rack. Every time you take so it off, when it's you, a mess. It off, every time you take the filter off, you use three cans of brake cleaner. Yeah. Cause it, it goes all over the every what is time. control arm and, um, tie rod. Yeah. It's a, the, the, the stock K member is worse cause it's got so many little pockets and stuff. I mean, I've got a tubular on it, so it's not as bad, but it still gets all over the rack. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so one of one of the things I did when we um, when I had taken it apart years ago now is I bought a remote uh, filter kit from Maximum Motorsports, and it is worth every penny of the like almost three hundred bucks I think it was for the the basically the you know the two chunks of billet for the housing um, for the filter and the chunk of billet that spins on to the block and the the braided lines you know to the in out lines for it um so i took that bolted that on and i put that in where the normally the factory battery would be in the car which is driver side front fender and relocated the battery to the trunk which like i talked about before was why we had to do the um the battery disconnect for an hra that was so cool when i was over there and i was looking at the engine you know there's the blower there's the, all the tubular stuff and of course that's something that catches my eye though is i'm like oh that's beautiful the remote you know the remote reservoir for the for your oil filter i'm like that's because that is that is a that is something that you notice all the time like every every time you do an oil change it's it's functional and it it cleans up the engine bay so nice because like the battery itself you know just in that location it's just kind of bulky and it's out there i mean it helps move some weight to the back too i mean it's pretty minuscule unless you're talking you know we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty for drag racing but it cleans it up for me it's a nice aesthetic yeah so yeah it, it cleans it up nicely plus um running that kit it runs the bigger the fl1 a filter which is a little bit bigger filter a little more heavy duty um for that um also that that kit can increase the capacity too so it runs it takes seven quarts seven. to fill that now too but uh, um spinning that filter off though it just literally just spins off and drops not a drop of oil anywhere on my floor on the car on the on the rack on the k member in the fender nothing i mean it's worth every penny for just that i need to get one of those for shelly's escape man yeah, yeah. I mean, worth every penny on the maintenance. Even you know, I'm only doing it once a year. If I was doing it three times a year, four times a year, it'd really be worth it. But um, yeah, that was one of the most beneficial parts of that build. Really, I'm super happy with that. What about that uh, ZTEC engine on that uh, Focus? Where's the oil filter on that? Oh, on the back. <laughs> no, no, that one sounds like it's a pain. Yeah, it's going to be a pain. It's. It's on my list of things to do. I need, I've got, um, ironically enough, it takes the same filter that the uh, the Fobra did. So I've got plenty of those still. Mm, nice. um, I just got to get some more oil and do that. But I wasn't going to do that until I was done with the brakes. I didn't, and it was going to be 
a matter of cleaning up oil off the back of the block and brake fluid and everything too. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's currently sitting in the garage on stands working on that. I haven't progressed any really on it. Um, since we had talked last, it's still, um, for those that didn't listen, it was, um, I'd replaced the master cylinder on it and still having issues. I got to go re-bleed everything and see if that fixes my issue or if I've got something that's going to rise somewhere else, whether it's a stuck caliper or something, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it, it does because it drives pretty smooth, but it's just got no pedal. Like you can feel it's got resistance, but it just goes to the floor. Like it's got massive air in it. Um, hmm. I just simply haven't gotten around to it. Um, like I said, I finished up the Cobra, pulled that out. I did a um, oil change and a, and a turbo setup on the Mazda. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, actually, speaking speaking of oil too, I was at Costco, and Costco now has their uh, Kirkland brand, and I haven't done the research on it yet, so I don't know who makes it. I was I was guessing Chevron because they do carry a lot of the Chevron um, oil products and whatnot at Costco, but uh, their own premium, you know, quote unquote Kirkland brand of synthetic oil. And I was like, well, that's kind of nice, you know. Um, and it was really cheap. I don't know if it was on sale or if this is regular price, but it was two five quart jugs of synthetic oil, full, full synthetic zero weight 20 oil, which is what the Mazda takes. And it was 22 bucks. So like 11 bucks a piece for those five quart jugs. And the Mazda takes like 4.5 quarts, like, like the cheapest oil change for full synthetic you could ever imagine. I think That's the filters awesome. with the, with the little special crush washer that you have to change on those, I think we're like nine bucks a piece so we're talking like sub you know 20 about 20 bucks per oil change and there's two, two oil changes worth out of it so that's actually worth that's doing, actually worth doing. i stopped doing i stopped doing oil changes because the ranger would cost me 30 bucks to change my own oil and gresham ford which was my local place out here would do it for 40 mm-hmm. and they would also you know check the battery right. and look for any leaks. They did the whole thing. I'm like, well, for 10 bucks, I don't have to get under. Right. Which Ranger Rangers are also not great for oil changes. They're not like they're, they're an upside down filter. So they're not oh, yeah. super bad, but they, they still leak right. every time. Um, but yeah, that's actually uh, cost effective. Oh at that yeah, point totally. To, to I, also, I also found out that it's, that the, I mean, when we bought the model, it was, it was a 2016 that we bought last year. So it was used. It had like 40 some thousand on it, but I hadn't been under it. I had just been having the dealer do it because the dealer was charging. Uh, I think they did the first one for free. And the last one, I think it was like 35 or 39 bucks for, you know, full synthetic change. I was like, eh, it's worth it. You know, at that point, you know, cause figuring, you know, oil was going to cost me 25 or 30 and then a filter is going to cost another 10. It's like, might as well have them do it. Like you said, mm-hmm. but you know, doing it for 20 bucks a piece this time. So yeah, I got under it and, discover the inspection plates are missing <laughs> or the service plates are missing oh, under no. the, the, the skid, skid plates underneath the little, little, um, little plastic covers, whatever you want to call them that are normally underneath the car on those were missing either, either one of the techs broke it or I never had it when I got the car. Who knows? Yeah. It's still, that's still the best way to buy a car is like two years old with like 30 or 40,000 miles on it. Like basically off lease. Yeah. Yeah. But you do run the risk of little stuff like that. Sure. I mean, I bought I bought our 2012 Focus in 2014 
with 9,000 miles on it. Little old lady drove it to work in and back, but, um, but yeah, there were still little things like stains on the seats and, oh, yeah. you know, the part partition cover was missing stuff like that. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, you still got 30% off the price of the new car. Yeah. Effect. You're not, you're not eating the whole, you know, um, loss on it, buying it new. So yeah, you drive it off the lot and you lose $500 instead of 8,000. Yeah, exactly. Man, cars are expensive now. You know, I was, uh, I was looking, my sister bought a, a used truck, uh, here recently and it was a 20, I believe it was 2016. Uh, we said, Oh yeah, this thing retailed for $80,000. Yeah. Like I can't even, I mean, big, big, nice diesel. She didn't pay. She didn't pay. Half well, what'd she pay? Like 25, 30. Uh, I think she paid like uh mid thirties yeah. for it. Yeah. What, um, like a 250, but, 350 or something, or a big 350 diesel crew cab, yeah. Real nice, real nice truck. Yeah. Uh, so it's got that Scorpion engine in it. It's real nice. Yeah. 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 My, my, my in laws, they just bought the same thing. It's, it's, it's this 2016 F250 with the, with the 6.7 in it. And I think they paid about the same. It was like, I think about 30. And that truck was probably 70, yeah, but, 70 or something new. Yeah, she said that her last two uh, trucks that she's owned uh, have both had a sticker of like seventy nine or eighty thousand dollars. Just I can't crazy. even. And that's that's years ago. That's five model right. years ago. You know that the uh, the current F one fifty, well, the new one coming out, I should say, um, without the little tack on options, you can get it past a hundred thousand dollars. This is a half. Oh my time. god, on a one fifty. Yeah, it's just for the the limited where you check boxes yeah. doesn't and that doesn't include like the extra tubular uh, step rail bars. Oh, yeah. You know, you can always get oh, those yeah. dealer add ons. Yeah, there's hundreds that's of not including that dealer add ons. Yeah, that's so much for a yeah for a one fifty. In in two thousand and twelve, uh, I bought my first house for one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars. That's bonkers to think that. You, you know, my sister's truck and your in-laws' trucks were an entire house yeah. together. You can live in a truck. You can't drive a house. How do you not have to get a 15-year mortgage on a on a car now? Yeah, you know? it's, 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 insane. it's insane. There's a uh, truck for sale right now up the road from us, uh, and I think it's a half ton as well, and it's all bro-dozered out with the, uh, you know, 8-inch lift and all the powder-coated control arms and the you know all of the, the look at me 30 list. inch wheels that are on yeah and uh, they want like a hundred and five thousand dollars for that truck you, i don't i don't get why people think modding cars you get your money back for your mods no no you, you lose, lose it. it and sometimes it makes, makes it, it worth exactly less. You're, you're creating a smaller niche market for your resale yeah less people biting yeah Yep. Any money you pour into your car, just realize it's, it's gone. gone. Like, yeah, it's it's gone. But uh, is there anything else for you there, Andy, my man? No, I think that just about really covers it. Um, yeah, focus. On- well, that's good. You got to drive the 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 Fobra again, or the, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just about it. I've been looking for a battery for the for the Focus too, because not driving it again for a while, it's it goes dead. So I think I might just buck up and buy one now. Yeah. Batteries are fun. Oh yeah. Uh, 
That'd be a 12 volt battery, which I'm jealous of. Me too. Bravo, sir. Me too. That was that was a D plus at best. Yeah, C minus. Me. Cool. Still better. Still better than my high school transcript. So <laughs> you. Um, I decided on Monday. Uh, this past Monday, we're recording on a Sunday, so a week ago. I'm like, yeah, I got to drive something. I'm picking between the keys, you know. Uh, and I'm like, I'll take the I'll take the Desoto to work. I haven't driven that in almost a week, so I'll take that to work and. I wish I had uh, your choices because nice, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you think that. You think well, that. Well, mine is which keys go to the running car. Yeah, which which key <laughs> runs. Um, so I got in the car and I uh, I probably should have known something was up uh, to kind of uh, kind of say what's going on. It it started a little slow. But I'm like, ah, oh, it's just because it's been sitting, right? You know? So I, I started up and I let it warm up and grab my stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's go to work. Uh, drinking my coffee in the car. There's nowhere to put it. Uh, but I get down onto the highway. So I'm about halfway to work. And uh, just bopping down the road in third gear. Just And all of the sudden, there's not enough resistance in the pedal. And... I'm slowing down slowly, but I'm not, I'm not keeping traffic anymore. So I give it a little more pedal and it doesn't do anything more. And this all happens in about three seconds, but I'm like, why it's what's happening. It's not going. I look down, nothing, no rev counter, nothing. It's just, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm coasting. Oh, that's not good. So I go ahead and uh, throw it in neutral uh, shows how low the compression is on these cars. Uh, I throw it in neutral and it just rolls down. I'm like, okay, which driveway can I make it to? And luckily I made it to a small gravel cross street and pulled over to the side of the road. I'm going to be late to work. So I get out of the car, start kind of just check all the basic things. Uh, all the wires seem to be good. Uh, pull the air cleaner off, which, uh, I discovered is what's called an oil bath air cleaner. Uh, so when I see oil in my, in, you know, the air cleaner box, I think that probably shouldn't be there, but it's fine. guess that's how they work. Uh, you know, check here and there. And finally I, I, I call my dad and I go, Hey, I got a bit of a problem. He's not far away. He comes and runs over and, uh, of course, I get in touch with Jeff at this point. This is your fault. Yeah, that was the first text you sent me. <laughs> yeah, this is your I fault. Blame the you. <laughs> then the picture comes through with the hood up on the DeSoto on the side of the road on a Monday morning. Um, and so my dad gets there. We check a few things. Uh, there's fuel coming through the carb. Lots of fuel coming through the carb. So it's not fuel. Um you know, it seems like it's getting air. There's no reason to think it wouldn't. Um, so it must be spark. You know, those are the three basic things you check first. Uh, I don't have any way to check spark at this point. I don't have a, a plug plug socket wrench. So we push it kind of a little farther off the road so it's somewhere safe. 
and uh, yeah, we I, I get a ride to work, and I decide, okay, probably you know this or that, and talking to Jeff, we decide maybe it's the coil, right? Because um, there's only so many things it can be. Battery had juice. We checked that. Um, so let's see. If the battery's good, next step is the distributor in the coil and then the plugs and the wires in between. But the coil had been replaced. The dizzy had been, everything in that had been replaced. The plugs were fresh. The wires were fresh. Couldn't figure out why, you know, what would have gone wrong. So at lunch, I go out and get a uh, new coil. After work, run out there and uh, throw the new coil on, cross my fingers, and no, the, the car cranks. I should say the car cranks. Just a woo, 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 but it, it won't fire. Uh, pumping the pedal makes no difference. So I'm trying not to foul stuff at this point. Um, so at, in the afternoon, it was cresting probably 92, 93 degrees, which for us Oregonians is a near death sentence. <laughs> And in a, you know, a tin can like that, black tin cans when sitting out in the hot sun, it was <clears throat> miserable is an understatement, but uh, not the best. So, you know, I, I already had plans that afternoon uh, and evening, so I didn't have a lot of time to kind of mess around with it too much. So I made good use of my Haggerty insurance and had it uh, towed back up to to my residence. Uh, a couple days later, I'm able to uh, drag Jeff out of his um, hiding place <clears throat> and we start diagnosing. Uh, Jeff has a little more understanding of, of our process here and he'll be a little more eloquent in explaining um, how we check and why we check. But I am, I'm learning very quickly. I, I understand what we did, but I think he might be more adept at, at explaining it. Oh no, you're asking me to explain stuff. I'm not good at this being a teacher. Um, yeah. So we just started, uh, kind of from square one, uh, you know, we pulled the, pull the, uh, plug off of the, uh, coil, uh, or off the distributor and test the coil and we're not getting any firing through the coil. And we, so, you know, we either think, okay, maybe maybe there's an issue with the coil, and because this is a positive ground car, um, everything and, is just that much more difficult. Because yeah. it's like, okay, so here's the battery positive terminal; it goes there, and then the coil has a positive and a negative and an output. Yeah. So the this wire is on the positive side of the coil, which leads down to the yeah. power side of the distributor, but should it be negative because it's negative hot? Yeah, and, the, and then there's the, yeah, the block is hot and the coil is sending a ground signal, uh, I think to the, uh, when the points open, it collapses the field in the coil and then it grounds or goes to the positive block and makes that, yeah, it's very confusing uh, how all of this it's just the opposite of what you think it is. Um, yeah, we're going to do our best to explain it, but us sitting there staring at, the, you know, the the engine 
we were rubbing our temples going, no, no. So start over. So the power goes in here, trying to trace it because it gets a little convoluted in that the power, you know, goes to the, to the ignition box. And then it goes out to the distributor back up to the coil, back down to the distributor, then out the distributor to the plugs. Right. And then the extra step of, okay, is this like, is, is the, the positive and negative terminals on the coil does that matter? Like, is, is it a one way valve or is it not? Because, you know, we're trying to figure out with the, with the, you know, negative, negative, positive being switched, you know, do we need to, how important are these things that we can usually just, Oh, hot goes to plus and ground goes to minus. But is that important? Is that going to make a difference? Right. And, and is the coil for a 12 volt or a six volt and, and, you know, on a six volt car, we think, you know, okay, so a, the, it has to go to a, uh, um, oh, what am I trying to say? The, the wire coming from the, uh, from the coil to the distributor has to be positive on a 12 volt car. It's negative. Um, and you know, everything's just, everything's just backwards of what you think it should be. Um, and so, so anyway, we start, we, we start uh, testing stuff by yeah. bas- by basically smacking the uh, the plug wires on the block. Um, is basically what it comes down to. You know, you you try and ground out the hot mm-hmm. on the block, but the block is hot. So yeah. we were we were grounding the wire with the block instead of grounding the wire with the block. And so, so we would crank we crank the engine and look for a, an arc basically. Yeah. So what we we ended up doing to just try to let's try to pare down is it the coil is it is it points or something in the distributor or is it before that we know we're getting power into the into the coil from the ignition so that's good um we take a jumper wire and we jump the the hot side of the coil to the battery and when we do that we get a spark which is great so we know the coil is good I mean, something going on in the distributor. So we at least narrowed it down to the distributor. And we're looking at the points and everything's hooked up. It all looks right to me. Uh, it looks right to Randy because he doesn't know what he's looking at. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we end up grabbing the wire that goes to the distributor um, where the, I believe it's the, con- is it the condenser or there's like a, there's like a jumper wire from the, uh, with an insulating pad that that uh, that jumps power from the uh, from the coil through the distributor body up to the uh, to the points plate and uh, on on a uh, um, and so anyway so we're we we uh, that that whole thing is super super loose so I tighten all that up thinking maybe that's just a bad connection the uh, condensers on it's and the points are on, everything's on, and, and just it's not the field isn't collapsing. It's just not not making a in a 12 volt car a ground, I think, or in a in a, uh, a whatever the opposite of that is in a six volt car. I don't know. It's just not making contact. The points aren't doing what but they we, should. We can see the the points making a physical connection, like yeah. And we even shimmed it. Don't do this. We shimmed it with a screwdriver to see if we could. You know, if it's maybe 
just not making physical contact and it's direct and it needs to, yeah. we're like, well, we'll bridge that. We'll make dang sure that it touches. And, you know, I didn't get electrocuted, so we're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't see any sparks. So we, okay, so it's not sending power. We know that. So why would it not send power? And you checked and there was power going to the points, but not coming out of the points. So we then had it narrowed to about a two inch area that we were losing yeah. power. And with old cars, you know, points are always kind of the thing that people worry about and uh, knock on wood. Um, I've been driving my Falcon now for five years and I was running the same points for a long time that were original to the car that said FOMO on them. And they were fine. And honestly, I replaced them and I still have them in the glove box because they're fine. Um, I was replacing them because I didn't know that the bowels needed adjusted. I thought they might have been an issue. But uh, um, anyway, bottom line is generally a lot of people like to jump to blame points. And it's generally not really what's wrong. But we figured, okay, what what the hell? Let's just go get a set of points. They're cheap. Let's try it, you know. And, uh, you know, we go to the two different parts stores to get one a condenser and then two points. Um, they end up being the wrong points. They're like a mirror image of the points that they should be, which is great. And Randy got a receipt so he can return those. Perfect. Um, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But anyway, one of the things I found odd about the points that my car doesn't have is it had an extra strap on it. And this strap was a copper strap. Um, on my Falcon, it's all done. The the connection that the points make is all done through the body of the points. On this car, it needed a copper strap to carry that current. Um, and that seeing that on the on the points, I don't know if it was Randy or you or I who caught it. I think it might have been you. Um, we uh, we knew we knew that the the bolt that was holding all of this the condenser the jumper wire and the point spring was all was was it was rounded it was too short it was like it was holding a lot of things and there was no space to get a wrench and you couldn't tighten the bolt because it was all rounded off and so we were just fighting that left and left and right and then i think it was you randy that noticed that there was a copper strap laying off to the side um and that bolt had come loose while you were driving um and that copper strap, which is what the points used to make their connection, had somehow jostled its way off of that bolt. And that caused your, basically your ignition system to no longer ignite fuel. Yeah, even though the, the spring, so there's a big arching spring um, that is exactly the same as that little copper piece copper or brass possibly uh and they both have to sit in there but since the the steel part the metal the was still there it was still springing properly and since jeff had never had one with the copper he didn't you know look for that so if it had just been able to bring power through the springy bit i would have been fine um and you know once we got in there we realized that it it came off and it came loose because it couldn't get properly tightened a because the bolt was a little too short to fit uh 
both the steel and the copper uh, spring strap, as well as the uh, connecting wire for the condenser and the points, because they both have to be separately powered um, on the hot side. So all four of those things had to fit in this tiny slot. And then that the head of that screw is almost right up against the outer edge of the actual dizzy itself. So you can't get a tool in there to tighten it uh, other than like pliers, basically needle nose pliers. And this bolt was completely rounded. So there's simply no way to have really properly tightened this. I told Jeff, we should just put an arc on it and just weld it and then we're set. But <laughs> apparently that's not the right way of tackling that. So, well, and, and honestly, you could tell whoever owned the car before you struggled with that too, because that, that bolt had been off and on many times and, and, and struggled to tighten many yeah, times. Un understandably. And I know yeah. that. So now all I, I, I know all I have to do is go out there and hook that all up. Uh, I would have done it today, but it was 101 in the Portland metro area. So I did not. Which is 10 uh, degrees warmer than what you were complaining about on the day that it broke down. So. Yeah, I didn't feel like working on a, a, a tin can um, today, mm -hmm. so I swam in a pool instead. Ooh, nice. Yeah, kids, kid, no, uh, kids have friends, and friends are fun. Mm. So, I was going to ask for kind of pool. Uh, not well, not no. well. So it's 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 part of our part of our very small uh, circle that we have. Um, you know, minimize, be careful, but with kids, you got to give them a, something every once in a while. That's true. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really the, the long and short of it. Uh, DeSoto already stranded me. Um, so the only thing I own that has never, ever stranded me is nope. I guess we got the X5 jump started that day, but I have I have bad track record with uh, even the Ranger lost an alternator in 2009, 2010. I lost an alternator on the Ranger and it left me on the side of the road. So uh, 5 Series did it with uh, gas and battery and now points on the DeSoto. So... Uh, if you need a ride to work, don't call me. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting game we should play. How many times have your vehicle stranded you? I like Ooh. that. Actually, that could be fun because we have different ages of, of, of vehicles. That so, is I mean, the smart money is on Jeff, but he's such a, uh, you know, neurotic uh, individual that his stuff is well maintained. <laughs> And like, what what is your least reliable vehicle? These are these are good. I can write these ones down. Um, but that sounds like a show to me. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts? Anyone else want to rib me for my uh, poor luck in automobiles? I just want to rip you for not repairing it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go fair. over to your house and just fix it and then let you drive it. You know where it is. There's no lock on that gate. Go for it. I'll Leave the bolts out. I'll go do it tomorrow. First thing. I'll put a work light out there. You can do it right now. No, it's too dark. I don't work at night. 
<laughs> Anything uh, else from the peanut gallery? Not from this side. I want some tater tots. We should end the show. See, Andy, that's why I like you better. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that brings us to the end of our 26th episode of Garage Night. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram and uh, be sure to email us at tinydogpodcastnetwork uh, at outlook.com. Check out our their family of shows at tinydogpodcast.com. And please correct me on anything I said correctly about carburetors. So <laughs> I got uh, time to read all of it. Yeah. Definitely. Always correct, Jeff. Uh, is always welcome. Um, you know, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, ratings, reviews, always appreciated. And so without uh, any further ado from all of us here at Garage Night, we would like to wish you a very good night. Night, y'all. Good night, everybody. listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches